Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Bearspa, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Uh, this weekend, Pastor Henry was scheduled to preach, but he's still battling with a cold. Nothing serious, but he will appreciate our prayers for quick recovery so he can continue preaching from the book of Romans. Last weekend, I completed the series, Revive Us Again, and it was a call to be renewed and awakened in our walk with God. And today, I want to share something from my heart, something that I've been personally reflecting in my life, and will serve as a good follow-up to our series on revival. The Christian life is not a sprint, but it is a marathon. It's about the long haul, going the distance. When you run a 100-meter race, you give your everything. You run with all that you have. But that principle doesn't apply to a long-distance race. A long-distance race requires endurance, perseverance, careful thought and planning to pace yourself. And when I was a new believer, I had a conversation with a church leader that had a significant impact on me. The leader was talking to me about another believer who had come to faith in Christ from a completely different worldview. And she was following Jesus for many years and referring to her, uh, the church leader said, she's been a believer for over 20 years and has still not lost her fervor. While so many turn lukewarm, this person has remained the same on fire for Jesus. Now, as a new Christian, what I heard that day was, it's normal for people to lose the fire in their Christian life. The shine wears off, and it's only a matter of time before you're going to lose what you have. And sadly, over the years, I've seen many people who start their Christian lives well, but they don't always finish well. I've seen this repeatedly. Some people who serve Jesus with such passion and eagerness somehow in the course of their life lose that zeal. They become tame and their determination starts to waver. I think of people I have baptized over the years, people who made a public profession of their faith in Jesus and promised that they will follow him all the days of their life, have opted out of the race, are no longer following Christ. I know of believers who are actively serving in the church, making a difference with their spiritual gifts and engaging in the mission of Jesus, but now their priorities seem to be messed up and they no longer seem to have the time or the passion to use their gifts to make a difference in this world. But the Christian life is a hard life. It's a countercultural life. It is a long stretch. And we need to not only start well, but also finish well. It is about maintaining that passion and intensity until we reach the finishing line. So what is the difference between a believer who stands strong until the very end and those who fall halfway through? And how do we persevere in our faith and remain standing in the long run? I believe it has a lot to do with active obedience. 
When people compromise on obedience in small areas, it's only a matter of time before they will have a major fall. Small compromises leads to spiritual lethargy. But when we make obedience to God as the foundation of our life, then our spiritual growth will never stall. We will never stop maturing. Obedience can be that fuel that keeps the fire within us burning. So I've titled my message today, Still Standing. And I want to talk to you about demonstrating endurance by standing strong until the very end. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us a parable about two houses and why one house collapsed and the other one stood. Jesus draws a, a contrast here between the person who stands strong and the one who falls. Our text for today is taken from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. And if you're physically able, I'll ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know what we read just now are familiar words, words we've read many times, but we do not want the familiarity to rob us of seeing something new seeing something that is relevant to where we are in our lives right now. So Lord, we commit this time to you and we pray that you will personalize this message for us. You will speak to us and challenge us areas in our life that needs correction. We pray that you will point it out clearly so that we will be able to apply these truths to our life. So we give this time to you, Lord, and to the leading of your spirit. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You all may be seated. In the book, Building Below the Waterline, author Gordon MacDonald talks about the Brooklyn Bridge in New York City. Connecting Manhattan to Brooklyn, spanning the East River, the Brooklyn Bridge is a major transportation artery in New York City. In 1872, the chief engineer of the project and his team did a patient, daring work of constructing the foundations of this bridge below the waterline. It took them about 14 years to complete this entire construction project. Now, foundations are not visible. They are hidden from plain sight. But the fact that this bridge still stands and is used actively today, even now for transportation, is a testament to the fact that this bridge 
has a solid foundation. You know, even in the Christian life, the work that is done below the water line is so critical because that's what determines whether we're going to stand the test of time. It is the unseen part, hidden from plain view, hidden from everybody else's eyes. That foundation is the key to our endurance. What people see above the waterline may look impressive, but if it is not backed by a solid foundation, then you know, however impressive it may look on the outside, that building is not going to last long, and that applies to our life. And that is the point of Jesus' parable here in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is bringing the famous Sermon on the Mount to a close. This is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. And at the end of this sermon, Jesus is not looking for an applause from his audience, but he is eager to see them apply these truths to their life. That is Jesus' heart's longing. And he draws this contrast in this parable between hearing and doing, between merely offering an intellectual assent to his teachings versus living it out in active obedience. Now, in this parable, on the outside, both houses look identical. You can't really tell the difference. You, you see on the outside, they are the same. In good weather, both houses give the impression that they are secure. But the real test was when the seasons changed and it started to rain. That revealed the true foundation of the house. Jesus calls the first builder wise. In verse 24 of our text, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What does building a house on rock mean? What was the foundation of this house? People think the rock is... Jesus, so the text is calling us to make Jesus Christ as the foundation of our life. And that is only partially true. Because if you pay closer attention to the text, that's not what exactly the text is saying. And the wise person who builds the house on a rock puts the words of Jesus into practice. They make that as the foundation. The foundation here is active obedience to Jesus' words. This person is not just a hearer of the words of Jesus, but goes on to obey and put it into action. And not just applauding the teachings of Jesus, but they're applying it to their life. It affects how they live. It brings about a radical transformation. And Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, and that word translated practice is the same word for poem in English. It means making or creating something like a work of art. It requires creativity. So this person takes the words of Jesus and creatively apply these truths to their life. Like an artist, they weave these truths to incorporate them into their varying life situations. The emphasis here is on the relevance of the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus' words never get outdated. That 
is the power of God's word. It is applicable for every generation. You know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus spoke, it was relevant to the original audience, and it is still relevant today in the 21st century. A believer who is still standing strong in their faith is the one who has made obedience to Jesus as the bedrock of their faith. And that is how we honor the words of Jesus, by applying them to our lives. Now, there are people of other religions who also honor their religious books, but the way they do it is by keeping them in a special place. They consider the book itself to be sacred, so it's placed in a shelf, elevated above everything else in the house, and out of respect for the book, they don't carry it around in their hands. But as Christians, we don't see the Bible as a charm, as though the book itself is sacred. The power is not in the book, but we access the power by applying the words to our life. That's where the Bible's power is evidenced. The Bible has been given to us for application. And reading the Bible should lead us to live a life of active obedience to God. A well-known Christian author uses a, a great analogy to explain this point. He says at one point in his life, he bought running shoes, and he started enjoying long-distance running. Soon he was running 10K races and, and then a marathon once a year, and he was actively into running. And at this time, he subscribed to three different running magazines and started reading them voraciously. Now, unexpectedly, he pulled a muscle and couldn't run for a couple of months. When he was not running, he didn't find these magazines to be useful. They, they were lying around in the home, but he never even opened it once. But the moment he resumed running again, he started reading the magazines once again. That's when he came to the realization that running magazines made sense only when he was actually running. It deepened his world of running. If he wasn't running, there was nothing to deepen, and the magazine had no use. He goes on to draw a striking parallel between the running magazine and the Bible. The reason we read the Bible is to help us to live in obedience to God. Your reading deepens your Christian life. If a person is not living for God, then reading the Bible will not hold their interest for very long. The words of Jesus are not just for information, but they're meant to be applied to our lives and bring transformation. So the most important question when we read the Bible is not just what does this passage mean, but an even more important question is what's in this passage for me to obey? Simple obedience will open up your understanding to the text of the Bible more than any number of Bible studies or dictionaries or commentaries. And that is one way we keep our Christian life fresh. We stay active in this path of obedience, and that's what keeps the fire burning. People who remain strong until the very end and who are still standing are those who are marked by steady, ongoing obedience in their Christian life.
They don't rationalize the countercultural claims of the gospel. They don't do away with it, saying it's too difficult to follow, but they embrace it wholeheartedly. And Jesus calls this person wise. And such a person is a wise builder who not only hears but applies Jesus' words to life. In the New Testament, James also gives a very similar challenge. In James chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. How is wisdom demonstrated? It's demonstrated in our conduct as believers. It's not just cognitive knowledge, but it has a, a practical bent to it. For that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. So when a believer applies the words of Jesus to their life, they are wise, and they can weather the storms that come their way. Jesus says in the next verse, in verse 25, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. You know, in Israel, during the rainy season, they get torrential rains that can lead to excessive flooding. Now, houses with a firm foundation can weather these storms, even when they are battered by the wind and the rain, they still remain standing because of their strong foundation. Jesus in this parable is not offering us construction advice. As he always does, he takes a a simple day-to-day truth and he applies it to our spiritual lives. The storms stand as a metaphor for the trials and challenges of life. When we are in the Word, when we are not only hearers, but we are doers of the words of Jesus, it doesn't mean the storms will not come. We are not guaranteed a storm-free life, not at all. But when a person is obeying the words of Jesus, the storms of life will not be able to shipwreck their faith. Applying the Word of God offers us stability so we are grounded, rooted, anchored, and we can be secure even in the midst of a storm. Storms often reveal the character of our faith. And I tell you, I've been amazed by Christians who go deeper in the Word in the middle of a personal storm. They press closer to the heart of Jesus in the middle of a crisis. They are driven to their knees when they are faced with overwhelming challenges. So the battering storm only serves to strengthen their faith and their resolve to live for Jesus. Their foundation is not shaken. These are the believers who are still standing strong. But in contrast are those people whom Jesus calls foolish in this parable. This is what he says about them, verses 26 and 27. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, 
and it fell with a great crash. So that's a house built on sand, something that doesn't take very long to construct. The foundation is superficial. The second house faces an identical storm. In fact, Jesus uses the same words to describe the second storm. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. This storm is not any worse than the previous one. It's not greater in intensity. It is the same test, but it produces different results. When a person merely hears the words of Jesus but does not apply them, the same test, instead of strengthening their faith, reveals the weaknesses of their faith. Now, these people may read the Bible. They may come to church. They may engage in Christian activities and rituals, but they don't apply the teachings of Jesus to their life. They have not allowed the Word to bring a deep fundamental transformation within them. And that is a faulty foundation, a house that is built on sand. When the storms come, they don't stand a chance. I tell you, the trials of life have a way of exposing our foundation, what we are building our lives upon. They confirm whether you're just a hearer of the word or you are following through in the path of obedience. Jesus says, the one who merely hears but refuses to follow in obedience is foolish. In both the book of Psalms and Proverbs, a fool is someone who doesn't take God seriously. It has nothing to do with our intellectual capacities. You may have a PhD and still be foolish. You may be, you know, revered in the society, have a great social standing, be a CEO of a company and still be foolish. You may have IQ as high as Einstein's and still end up being foolish. What is interesting in this parable is Jesus is not contrasting Christians from non-Christians here. Jesus is comparing two people who profess to be Christians. And this is the disconcerting part of this well-known parable. Both claim that they've heard the words of Jesus. Both on the outside make a statement that they are living out their faith. When you speak to them, you can't tell the difference. When you observe them from far, they look almost identical. But the difference is seen in the unseen, the foundations of life that are hidden from plain sight. One person has merely settled for a cerebral faith while the other has allowed the teachings of Jesus to transform them inside out. And that is the fundamental difference between a Christian who stands strong until the very end and those, those who fall through in the middle of the race. The storm and the flood in this parable could mean the trials and challenges of life. But it's also a reference to God's judgment at the end of time. For we will all, every single one of us, stand before God's throne and give an account for our life. And that day, some professing believers will find out that they have built their lives on the wrong foundation. 
that they never really had a saving faith because it was not demonstrated in the way they lived and their priorities of life did not reflect that saving faith. As much as they admired Jesus, held him in high regard, and maybe select him in some areas of obedience in their life, their actions essentially stated, Jesus, keep your hands off. I like you at a safe distance. You stay right there. I don't want you to bring any change or transformation in my life. But the ones who are still standing, strong in their faith are those who have yielded full control of their lives to Jesus. They follow him in the path of obedience, surrender to his will unconditionally. You know, just as we go to a doctor for a physical check, every now and then, all of us need to go to the Lord for a spiritual check. I want to give an opportunity for us in closing to do a spiritual check right now to examine your foundation, what you are building your life upon and whether this is a lasting foundation. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And that, that's written for believers. This is an exercise all Christian believers need to engage in on a regular basis to carefully examine our lives to see our foundation. Are we progressing in the right direction? It's a time to ask, is there a discrepancy between what I claim to believe and how I live out my life? And don't wait for the storms of life to come and reveal your foundation. Or don't wait for judgment day when it will be too late and you cannot reverse your actions. But examine your foundations now. Take an honest look in the presence of the Lord to see where you are at. Are you merely going through the motions of the Christian life and church life or are you actively seeking Jesus and allowing Him and His teachings to transform you inside out? As we come to an end, I'm going to ask all of us to stand. You know, we often ask these two questions here at the end of a sermon. What is God speaking to you? And what are you going to do about it? I think the emphasis on Jesus' parable is on the second question. So many times we hear God speak, but we are not following through on the practical application of that truth in our life. So I want us even right now, you know, our service is a bit shorter today, so there's an excellent time for us to do that spiritual check. We stand before the one who sees all things. Nothing is hidden from his sight. So would you just close your eyes right now and bring your heart before the Lord. Examine the foundations of your life. What are you building your life upon?
that if the storms were to come, will you be able to last because of the strong foundation that sustains you? Or are you being preoccupied with lesser priorities that have no chance to survive when the storms come? So I'm going to give a, a minute of silence for us to have a conversation with God and have an honest conversation with Him. And if there's something that He brings to your mind that needs to change, then follow through on that in the path of obedience. Because that's what helps us to remain standing until the very end. Lord, we come before you today and we stand in your presence, a God who is able to see all things, who knows all things, that nothing is hidden from your sight. Lord, we're grateful for the reminder that the Christian life is not a short sprint, but this is a marathon. You have called us to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow you in the path of ongoing obedience. That daily we have to make the choice to follow Jesus. Daily we have to make the decision to deny ourselves. So as we come to you today, Lord, we examine our hearts to see where we are at. And those of us who have slowed down in the race, those of us who feel like we are stalled and we are not making progress, would you reach out to us right now by the power of your Spirit to give us the strength that we need to overcome this stumbling block, to be able to press on with perseverance and endure this race that you have called us to. And knowing that, Lord, you are the one who has started the good work in us and you will bring it to completion. Our confidence is not in our ability to run this race. It's not in our power to be able to overcome challenges in our own strength. But we take comfort in the fact that you are at work in us. So would you give us the grace that we need, the strength that we need, not to slow down, but to press on in the direction that you want us to go. That our lives will be marked by ongoing, steady obedience. That even when the trials of life come, we will not be discouraged, but we will keep our eyes on Jesus and keep running until the finishing line. So give us that strength, we pray, that we will be able to honor you all the days of our life. And even as we all leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen.